Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And this is a magical time of year because it is Shark Week. Ah, oh, best time of the year. Yeah. Yeah, we've got our Shark Week lights up around the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they look like little sharks. Mm-hmm. Uh, mandatory consumption of gummy sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's allowed to bring their lunch. It's just gummy sharks and tap water for everybody. Mm-hmm. It really builds up your constitution. Yep, yep. And uh, we, we tend to uh, just go around in circles around each other right. in the break room, Yep, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it's a, an exciting time. Yeah. And it's always on in the lobby. We're not making that up. No, we're yeah. not making that up at all. Um, it actually premieres Sunday, July 31st on uh-huh. Discovery Channel uh, for folks who are really excited about sharks. And so we thought that we would do uh, a little homage to sharks this week and um, and talk about how great they are yeah. and cool. I mean, because the week itself was always pretty awesome growing up because you turn on Discovery and then they're just like nonstop shark attacks. Going I was going to say ma'am and violence no matter yeah. where you look. And your parents can't say anything about it because they're it's sharks. Yeah. yeah, it's educational. Yeah. And sharks truly are amazing creatures. But the the one, you know, the, the one thing you don't think about as much are sharks in space. No, because uh, it just seems odd. Yeah, or that NASA would at all care what a shark is up to or how a shark works. It just seems like these are totally different ends of the, the spectrum, you know? Uh, but as we know, there are definitely parallels between the great blue ocean and uh, the skies above us, right? Right. Uh, so to that point, we're going to talk about how 
sharks have informed NASA and and also how they have informed other areas of our lives and uh, and why Michael Phelps needs to give a shark a big hug next time he sees one. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, for starters, there is there's not really any such thing as a as a space shark. There are of course no sharks flying around in outer space. No. Um, but uh, but a we, dog, yes, but not a shark. Yes, yeah. a, a mummified dog, right? But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, as as for sharks, we we have wondered for a long time whether or not the moon affects them, even if even though there are no sharks on the moon, mm-hmm. uh, people have always wondered what does the lunar cycle affect the way sharks uh, behave? Does it does, can can we can we base their feeding uh, uh, preferences or their ferocity on what the moon is doing? Yeah, that's true. Um, and we know that a full moon signals breeding and migratory practices, mm-hmm. um, and it also influences the tides because the tidal force is at its maximum. Uh, so you see a lot more intense feeding behavior at that time. Right. And uh, in tracking shark movement, scientists have observed large congregations of sharks uh, during specific lunar cycles, uh, as well as intensified feeding um, habits. Mm-hmm. So we've got NASA definitely has uh, its eye on sharks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and this is just one example, right? There, there are a lot of um, things that NASA has been doing with sharks because some of their technology actually is very helpful in tracking yeah. sharks. And these are, yeah, these are definitely more concrete than, well, maybe the, you know, maybe the moon has some sort of influence on their activity. Um, the, the, the one that really, um, first of all, as far as just tracking them goes, um, we we do use satellites to track sharks. Yeah, because uh, some of these are are in either they're endangered species or they're just species we want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, two kinds of tracking devices uh, that we attach to the shark's fins. We have smart position only tags, also called spots, and we have pop up satellite archival tags or pats. Okay, spots attach to a shark's dorsal fins and upload location data to a satellite every time the animal surfaces. You know, so every time it comes up to eat a surfer or something, you know, <laughs> or to uh, or to attack Richard Dreyfus, uh, it right. checks in. You right. know, uh, pats, however, record water temperature, water pressure, and light levels before detaching from the shark's fins at a set time. So, uh, so this just sort of hangs out with the shark, shadows the shark, sees what the shark is up to, uh, and what kind of environments it's inhabiting, and then after a certain time, detaches to go report back. Yeah. So whether or not the shark knows it, it's in business with NASA yeah. and and um and aggregating a bunch of data for them. Yeah, the, the the PAT device floats back to the surface after it's through, and then it transmits the data to the satellite. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a second method, too, which I think is really cool. Um, this is an algorithm. Yes. Now, this is pretty fascinating because, all right, you look up at the night sky, and um, even, I mean, even if you're trained somewhat in astronomy and you can, you know, or even if you're you can, you know, you can pick out every constellation and you can point to different star systems. You have to admit a really clear night sky can be really confusing mm-hmm. because there's just so many stars and it's, you're just, you know, trying to make sense of it all. You cannot see them with the naked eye, all right. of them, right? Yeah. So NASA, of course, has developed an algorithm mm-hmm. to help to track this that can, uh, that can allow a computer to look at the sky and identify what's going on based yep. on this. Um, you know, to 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 the layman, seemingly uh, chaotic uh, array of stars. Yeah, and this was originally uh, created by Edward J. Groth, and uh, he was using this uh, to try to map the intimidating star fields Hubble would uncover following its launch in 1990. Mm-hmm. So, just so everybody understands the context there. Uh, but again, there's this correlation with stars and with sharks. Yeah, because the whole the whole deal is uh, we're really interested in whale sharks. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we want to know which one's which. What what are they doing? This is a species that we would like to to stick around for a while, and we would like to learn more about them. But how do you tell them apart, right? Yeah. Um, well, it turns out that the spots on their um, their their bodies, especially prominent on their heads and their their head region, uh, they're all different. These are like the fingerprints of a uh, of a whale shark. Okay. So it's unique to each one. Right. But it, to the naked eye, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like, oh, well, there is another giant fish with spots on it, on right. its head. But we can actually use the same program, the same algorithm that's, uh, that's intended uh, to make sense of the night sky, and mm-hmm. it can make sense of the spots on a whale shark and actually identify individual whale sharks uh, to the point where just random divers um, who encounter a whale shark can take a picture of it, and then they can send it in. Um, to the um, Ecocean, which is E C O C E A N, Eco Ocean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whale Shark Photo Identification Laboratory. And they're able to, through this, through these user submitted uh, photos, keep tabs on, um, you know, close to 2,000 whale sharks around the world. Which is really cool because it's very much a public project as right. well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also the algorithm has been adapted to track the animals, uh, North American populations as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Using the unique whisker markings on their muzzles. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So that's, that's from NASA actually. Um, so it's really interesting that they are trying to learn about the stars and they were able to use this to try to learn a little bit more about our own environment. Right. And it's another great page from the whole book of, uh, of space technology, uh, improving life or improving research on the planet itself, right? Um, you know, hand-me-down technology, but but very useful. This is another interesting NASA connection that was a surprise to me, but uh, actually has to do with Julia Child. Uh, Julia Child, the, yeah, the famed uh, chef, TV, one of the first the TV six chefs, six foot yeah. two, just a wonderful, spirited woman who who ushered the American palate into the 20th century. The reason, really, that we have to suffer through all these more annoying TV chefs today on various reality shows, right? Possibly, yes. Except, but except she was nice. She was not She was nice abrasive. and she, she brought us Dacar Laurence. Yeah. Un bouffe bignon. That was awful. But, you know, <laughs> she, she has a lot of uh, that she contributed to our society. But people, uh, I think, are pretty familiar with the fact that she was a spy of yes. sorts. Um, and this is from NPR's The Lady Was a Spy. Julia Child worked for the OSS, which is a precursor to the CIA, and was assigned to solve a problem for the U.S. naval forces during World War II. Sharks would bump into explosives that were placed underwater, setting them off and warning the German U-boats that they were intended to sink. So they oh. asked her to work on a recipe, as it were, <laughs> <laughs> of uh, shark repellent. And, um, and together they, they all cooked up this shark repellent and that was used to coat the, um, uh, explosives. So the shark repellent recipe was then later used to protect ast- astronauts in space capsules that landed in shark infested waters. Yeah. Because, uh, especially like the Apollo po- program and everything, um, you know, they're returning to earth in a capsule capsule is landing in the open ocean. Yeah. Um, in, in many cases, and you would rather your highly trained astronauts not uh, get eaten by a shark immediately. No, 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 not after all that training. That's yeah. just, that, that would be a big bummer. And the Soviets were very interested in this as well. I read a, uh, like a 1970 something, uh, NASA report on the Soviet interest in shark repellent. And there mm-hmm. was, you know, there was a, a, a lot of interest and a lot of tests and a lot of sort of, oh, I don't know if it works. So maybe it works enough. And, uh, generally it was decided that it, at least it worked, it worked enough to use it, you know? Yeah. Like it was better than nothing. <laughs> that was, I say, there was no other alternative. Yeah. So. 
No other alternates. Um, so actually, the sharks have taught us a lot and definitely through biomimicry as yeah. well. Yeah, not just uh, lessons in how to avoid them uh, no. <laughs> and then how to keep them from eating us. Yeah. But yeah, we can look at the shark and say, hey, that is an excellent design. What can we learn uh, from this evolution home design? Yeah, and it turns out that their skin is of particular interest. First, because it's able to move through water really quickly, right? And second, because it keeps bacteria at a minimum. Yeah, the uh, the skin itself um, has these uh, consists of these tiny tooth like scales mm-hmm. that uh, prevent small eddies and vortices from uh, forming, uh, which can slow you down. So it's it's uh, so speedo was instantly interested in this. Yeah, yeah, and this is so cool because they what they discovered is that the friction is different over different parts of the shark's body. So the skin uh, on the shark, the texture changes uh, to better manage the flow of water. Huh. Yeah, and speedo, of course, was like, oh, hey, we could apply this. We could make some money off of this. Yeah, and it was actually when this first made the the, the rounds in the news, there were some people that were like, is this really fair? That people can wear yeah. it because it was, you know, shaving some considerable time if you were wearing like a full shark skin bodysuit. Um, where I think at the actual name that uh, the Speedo product is a uh, fast skin, one word. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. There's, there's, a, I can kind of get some of that argument. You know, it's like, can if they're they're improving their performance purely through this awesome outfit. I mean, may, maybe I'm just putting this out there. Maybe all competitive swimming should be done naked. Because then it's more, you know, Greek Olympic style. Yeah, Greek Olympic style. Okay. So, I mean, I would definitely think that viewership would go up. Yeah. 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 Um, It's a possibility. I don't know. Maybe if they, you know, to to get around the TV sensors, maybe if they just dyed the water like a real murky color, and then it would be, you know, instantly, you know, covering any potential nudity that would show up, right? You know, just to to ratchet up the the, um, fun factor, they could put... Sharks in the water oh. while the naked swimmers there you swam. Go. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, they, they really, the suit, I think, made a big difference. Uh, it's a 3% improvement in swimming speed due to the original shark skin suit, which likely contributed to the fact that 80% of the swimming medals won in the 2000 Olympics were won by athletes wearing Speedo's fast skin suits. Um, and then also, the, some of the swimmers um, broke 13 of 15 world records. Wow. That, that's, I mean, and when you're talking about a tenth of a second here, I mean, that is, that's, that, that's a huge difference in this sport. Um, so Speedo has made further modifications to their fast skin suit based on continued research, and it now has something like a f- uh, 4% reduction in friction. Well, and the sharks, of course, get no credit. Yeah. None. Yeah. Yeah. Poor guys. Um, we've, uh, we've used, but we've also used, uh, the shark skin technology for other things. Um, We've been able to use this technology to create uh, fast-traveling ship holes that uh, also deter the attachment of underwater organisms, yep. you know, like barnacles, barnacles. and whatnot. And um, Australia's Biopower Systems has been working on a, a really cool shark-inspired innovation. Uh, the company hopes to anchor mechanical fins based on, you know, the shark's yeah. body uh, in the middle of sea currents in order to generate hydroelectric power. So it's kind of like a windmill. Except, in the uh, ocean. yeah, in the ocean, and it looks like a giant, uh, you know, whale, uh, giant shark fin. That is going to scare the, the pants off of someone yeah. who's just in a boat having a nice leisurely day yeah. in the ocean. Or, or scare the, uh, the fast skin bodysuit off of someone who happens to. You, you're just it, going yeah. for the naked thing here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll chew on that. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, just leave on the naked note. Yeah. Chew on that while we do a quick break and, uh, we'll be back right after that. 
This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we're back. All right. I know you got some email there. I, I see do. It. Yeah, it's time for a little listener mail. Uh, we actually have quite a bit. Um, the other podcast we recorded this week was the electronic music one, which uh, went a little long, so I didn't get to uh, to read some of the wonderful comments and uh, emails that we've received from everyone. But uh, I have a handful here. First, let's hear from Jay uh, from Arkansas. Jay writes in. Hi, Robert and Julie, longtime listener and huge fan of your podcast and blog. I appreciate you covering the method of Loki. Uh, this, of course, was uh, discussed in our Memory Palace mm-hmm. episode. Um, I have found it unusually helpful and extremely entertaining. I can definitely identify with Julie's comment on how the very premise of how this method works causes her to conjure up dreamlike situations, which, of course, make them more memorable. I am a very visual person and have adopted this memory approach almost daily. Since listening to your podcast, I have used it to memorize the original 13 colonies, numerous shopping lists, and also to wow friends by memorizing lists of 20-plus random words in a very short period of time. Most recently, I have used this method to memorize all of the U.S. presidents in order. There were definitely some colorful images uh, generated to memorize that list. Uh, and he gives the example of puke cannon for Buchanan and a tea glass that continually refills itself for Fillmore. Ah, uh, very says, clever. Thanks, thanks again and keep up the great work. Well, that was awesome to hear somebody take the method of Loki, the, the memory palace, and uh, start ramming it into their life on a yeah. daily basis. Yeah, I'm still using it myself. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah? What do you use it for less? Uh, some appointments that I needed to make. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. Um, here is another uh, listener email, and this is from Molly. Molly writes in and says, Hey, guys, just finished listening to your space religion podcast. Interesting. My immediate thoughts when you mentioned designing a religion, Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. Granted, this is uh, kind of the opposite of what you mentioned. In this case, a Martian, who is really a human but raised as a Martian by Martians, comes to Earth and designs a religion here. Excellent book if you haven't read it. Interesting, uh, thought-provoking ideas about the nature and need of religion and the nature of humans. Uh, At any rate, I dig the podcast, love the mentions of my favorite books, music, uh, movies. For instance, a shout-out to Dune in this one. Um, And then she also mentions uh, Robert Anton Wilson as being uh, particularly uh, interesting. Uh, along these lines. Uh, so, yeah, I have actually not read Stranger in a Strange Land. It's, it's definitely on the list. but Your summer reading list? Maybe. I don't know. My reading list is out of control. Yeah, I've seen that stack of books on your yeah. desk. But, uh, but no, I was really uh, really pleased with some of the feedback we got on this because we actually we didn't get any, like, crazy, grumpy feedback from, I think, anyone. Like, everybody that had something to say, it was, you know, all along the lines of, oh, I think... I think, you know, space and religion means this. I think it means that. And several people uh, wrote in with uh, examples of, of space religions from science fiction. Uh, yeah. I think somebody on Twitter um, mentioned the, the religion that uh, shows up in the uh, Warhammer 40,000 universe, which is uh, uh, a gaming, tabletop gaming kind of universe. But there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas uh, that are brought together in that uh, regarding what a science fiction interplanetary species religion would consist of. Yeah. Um, so it was well, a real, yeah, real pleasure we, to hear all that. Yeah, and I think that we are fortunate to have such a thoughtful um, audience with a lot of moxie, I might add. Moxie mind blowers out there. <laughs> I'm going to read uh, just one quick one here uh, before we close. And uh, this is from James responding to our Funny or Die podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we also re- we receive a lot of cool stuff. Um, um, we'll cover this, later. Yeah, we'll cover yeah. later. But, but he just wanted to um, throw in some uh, some quick funny words. And he said, supple. Pork loin. Oh, I love that one. And toot. 
So uh, well, also he, he also says that anything with loin in it is going to be pretty funny. Yeah, like tenderloin, yeah. loincloth, and, and yeah, it's it's a and funny pork word. chop. Pork chop. Yeah. And opera sauce. <laughs> All right. So uh, there you have it. If you have uh, anything you would like to add, anything you would like to share with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We are Blow the Mind on both of those feeds. And you can also drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 